Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. Hope you've had a nice weekend so far. It's um, it's good to be together again. Um, it's good to be on this topic again of the Holy Spirit. Welcome, Holy Spirit, is what we've been calling it. And um, I hope to take us just a little step further in this um, in this series this morning. Uh, I'll just do a quick recap of what um, Chris and Keith have brought us over the last couple of weeks, if you haven't been here. Um, but um, throughout this um, Holy Spirit series, there's like little kind of mini-series within it, if you like, like little two-week sort of sections. And so the first two weeks, uh, Chris and Keith have been bringing us just an introduction to the person of the Holy Spirit and trying to elevate the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Because um, often the Holy Spirit, in the, in the terms of the Godhead, and we, are, we believe in the Trinity, we're Trinitarian in our belief, um, we believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and often we can get the concept of a father, even though that can be difficult for some of us for different reasons, um, but we can kind of understand that a little bit. <clears throat> we can get understand the fact that Jesus lived, and he's a per- but sometimes the, the person of the Holy Spirit either gets forgotten or gets misunderstood. I think it was Francis Chan wrote a book called The, the Forgotten God, and it was about the Holy Spirit because often, you know, we, we, uh, we misunderstand him or we we kind of forget about them. And so to sort of summarize what we kind of hoped it would come across, and the guys did a great job over the last few weeks bringing, bringing that, uh, just three, three words just help us kind of summarize this. The Holy Spirit, first and foremost, is person. He is, he is a person a, a, in the perfect sense of the word personality. The Holy Spirit is, is, is a person. He's not, he's not just a theology that we box up uh, nice and neat and tidy on the shelf, and, but he's also not like a liquid that we just uh, get, you know, sort of, even though we use language, which is biblical too, you know, about pour, the Holy Spirit being poured out upon us. Um, sometimes that makes us think the Holy Spirit is like a fluid or something, or a liquid, um, or something less than, the per- something that gives us a, a top-up, like a quick fix to make us just feel a little bit better. Um, and what we, we want to kind of debunk that myth and say, no, the Holy Spirit is, is a person that we come to have a relationship with whose job it is in the Bible to glorify Jesus, amongst other things, but that's ultimately what he does. He's a divine personality. And he, he's not just person. The Holy, Holy Spirit is presence. Holy Spirit is the presence of God. And presence, as we know about here, uh, as we talk about a lot, hopefully, is the central, one of the central themes in the whole Bible. It goes from beginning to end, God wanting his personal presence to be uh, with humanity throughout their journey on the earth. And the Holy Spirit is like the, uh, the immediacy of God's presence. Um, it's interesting, you'll probably know it this by now, we've probably referenced it before, but the word spirit in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, so therefore in Hebrew and in Greek, okay, so Hebrew was the Old Testament, was written in, in Greek, the New Testament, but in both those languages, the word for spirit is the same word as wind or the same word as breath, okay? So breath, wind, and spirit are all the same word. So in the, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, right in the very, is it the second verse? You, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of God hovered over, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. So that's ruach, okay, that wind in Hebrew. And then in the Greek, in the New Testament, it's pneuma, where we get the word pneumatic from, yeah? So, so, <clears throat> so that tells us how close, <laughs> how close it is to God, the very essence of who God is, if that makes sense. If you're like right up, like if you're like, if you're sensing someone's breath, right, you're pretty close to them, aren't you? 
And so God's breath, God's very presence, his very essence of who God is, is, is how, how he manifests himself, if you like, throughout the scriptures is by his spirit. It's the immediacy of God's presence is the Holy Spirit, right? So that's really important for us to remember as well. And while God put his spirit upon certain people in the Old Testament, the beautiful thing that we're moving towards in the church calendar over the next few weeks is the celebration of Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit just didn't come upon certain individuals, you know, to do tasks like little David there when he went to go against Goliath or when God came upon him when he played his harp. You know, the Holy Spirit came upon in the New Testament, we're such a privileged people, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon all flesh, the Bible tells us, okay? And the locus of the presence of God on the earth is not the tabernacle anymore, it's us. We are these new tabernacles. We, we are the tabernacles that carry the breath and the essence of who God is by His Spirit, right? So the Holy Spirit is, is person, the Holy Spirit is presence, and the Holy Spirit is power. Throughout the, throughout the, the Bible, Old Testament and New, the Spirit of God... <clears throat> was God's presence, but with his presence also came his power. And, and that's what we need to think about quite a bit. Where the presence is, the power is available. Now, we have all sorts of, like this is a whole other series, by the way, right? What I'm about to say, right? We've all sort of, uh, all, <clears throat> lots of misconceptions of power, okay? But wherever God's presence is, his power is also there. His, and his power, it's the power of the living God to change and transform lives. It's supernatural. It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And the ironic thing about it is, is there's a subversive nature, as they say, to the power of God, because the power of God manifests itself most in our weakness, right? So when we understand that we are weak and we need something else, that's when the power becomes greatest. But wherever God's power is, presence is, is power is. So the Holy Spirit is, Holy Spirit is presence, Holy Spirit is person, and Holy Spirit is power, okay? And that, in some ways, we hope sets a foundation for us to really elevate the person of the Holy Spirit, to honor his personhood, to honor who he is and how he operates in our lives. But today, I want to talk a little bit more of, if that's all true, then how do we walk in the Spirit? The Bible, particularly in the New Testament, obviously, talks a lot about life in the Spirit, Walking in the Spirit, keeping in step in the Spirit, not quenching the Spirit, not grieving the Spirit, but walking. Now, what does that mean? What does life in the Spirit really mean? And because the New Testament is, as I say, full of that. <clears throat> if we're followers of Jesus, this is who we are. We're people of the Spirit. Has anybody ever called you good living? Yeah? Yeah? Is, have you heard people around here refer to, oh, such and such, you know, the sort of cling themselves up, they're going to church now, good living, right? We say that a lot, particularly around this part of the world, but that, that's nonsense in some ways, right? It's good that we've maybe, like, we're not bad living anymore, right? But we're not, we're not good living, right? We're spirit beings. We're, we're spirit beings before, we'll get that in a moment. But we're spiritual beings. We're people of the spirit. Something has happened in our lives that's been awakened. We're not good living. We're people who walk in the Spirit and demonstrate the very character of God because His presence is in us, right? That's how we should be defined. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that you have to correct everybody that ever says that, but if the opportunity comes up, maybe try it, right? Because that we're not, we're not good living. It, it sort of does my head in, to be honest, right? Because we want to, we want to be much more than that. And so today I'm going to talk very, quite quickly because I'd like us to take communion at the end about the source of our lives the struggle of our lives, 
and the solution of our lives. Just love a bit of alliteration, don't they? Right? I'll just give you three P's and I'll give you three S's, okay? Right? The source, the struggle, and the solution. Right? The spirit, right, is the source of our lives. First and foremost, just um, it's important, I think, just to get this because it's important to understand the struggle that we still go through if we're going to be walking in the Spirit. Look at this. John chapter 1 says, To all who did receive him, that's Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Right? We're not good living. We're children of God. Now, listen listen to this. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Just think about that for a moment. You're born of God. You're not good living. You're born of God. God himself has regenerated something in your life that was dead, and now you're alive. You were born again. And that has all sorts of kind of tags these days, the born again theme, but it's important that we don't lose it because that's exactly what happened to us. We were born of God. Watch, um, watch this. John, a few chapters later, John chapter 3, Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God, look, unless they are born of, the, of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. For the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So if you can imagine the way it says the word Spirit here, and then it's talking about wind in the Greek, that's all the same word. Right, so it would be pneuma all, all the way through this, okay? So the wind blows, or the spirit blows, wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit, right? So we're born of the spirit. We're spiritual people. We've been born of God by the Holy Spirit. Something has happened in us. Our, our spirits have been awakened. Now, maybe we just, for a moment, <clears throat> need to take a step back and go um, and recognize, first and foremost, that we are spirit people, um, the problem is most of the world think we are just bodies that maybe have a little bit of a spiritual element to it. But the reality is it would be as correct to say that we are spirits with a body. Because when we were created in the image of God as Christians, we believe that the worldview of the Bible tells us that in Genesis chapter 1, God created man in his own image. And God's, Jesus says in John chapter 3, I think it is, that God is spirit. So if God is spirit and we were created in the image of God, then we are spiritual beings, right? We are spirit beings. And it tells us in Genesis that God breathed, there's that word again, into mankind, the breath of life. So when he breathed, ruach, whatever that looks like, give Adam the kiss of life or whatever it was. But when he breathed into, it's really intimate. He breathed into him the breath of life and he became a living spiritual being. We are, we are spiritual beings, right? But the thing about it is we, we, actually, we actually know this because everybody's into spiritual stuff these days. And the, the problem is this. So at the source of our beings, we're actually spiritual people. We're more than just brains on a stick, right? We, 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 and, and the problem was in the, in the kind of modern world, when we say like the, the period that's called modernity, like, you know, the sort of 1800s, early 1900s, everybody thought everything could be explained and everything could be rationalized 
and every everything, you know, because every man was really bright, mankind was really bright, and therefore we could explain everything, and that actually seeped into theology as well. So all the scholars felt they could explain God and you know do all that kind of thing. But the reality is they actually realized you can't you can't block out the transcendent part of us. You can't squeeze out the part of us that wants to connect with something greater than ourselves. And so in the postmodern world, which they call now, is the thing about that is that they've realized that you know you can't box everything in. And there's a lot of there's a lot, there's a lot that's wrong with postmodern thinking. But one of the things that's interesting is God is a chance again because people believe in mystery and transcendence and all of that kind of stuff now. They're just looking for it in all the wrong places. And so people are into these days all kinds of new age kind of stuff, all kinds of like, in soft ways and in hard ways and all kinds of spirituality, people are getting their fortune being told, futures being told and all, all, that kind of, all that kind of stuff is, is real to people because they realize they're spiritual people, but they just, they're looking for some kind of connection. You can't deny it, that's part of who, who we are. And so the question is not really if we're spiritual or not, the question is, what kind of spiritual life do you have? And maybe even importantly, who controls your spiritual life? Who, who controls it? That's, I think, the question we have to ask ourselves. We, as followers of Jesus, we believe we are inhabited by the Holy Spirit, that our lives are to come under the control of the Holy Spirit. And yet, when I say that word control and the Holy Spirit, it's kind of like an oxymoron because when it comes to how we understand control today, because our lives are supposed to be under the control of the Holy Spirit, but the way the Holy Spirit controls is perfect love. Perfect love. So it's not control as an angle to tell you what to do. It's that's why Jesus said he'd become the guide and the lead. He's like the best shepherd you could ever imagine. He leads through perfect love. But all the other spirits are counterfeit spirits. So we've got loads of other spirits. And uh, when I say that, I'm, I'm kind of like caricaturing them. It doesn't necessarily fully happen like this. But we've got the enemy is, remember we did this in the Blessed to be a Blessing series. The enemy is always counterfeit the God. He's, always, he's not creative. He just counterfeits what's good and tries to counterfeits with God, with God's, I should say, and tries to present something that's good that actually is going to seduce us to something bad. And, uh, and so in sec in so secularism and individualism, the spirit in the age is like, you just do you. You know what? You do you. Just be the best version of yourself. Rachel, um, <clears throat> this is such physics, such a middle class thing to say. Rachel, Rachel, we got a peloton in the house, and we, we were like, right, we're going to do this. Like a really, really nice bike that you do, like loads, all right? So trying to like keep ourselves half fit and all. And it's really good. It is good, right? But the thing about it is, right, the guy, the guy and the girls and they're on it, like, they're, they're really good, you know, but it's all that kind of stuff. You do you, you know what I mean? I, I was on it yesterday, you know, just wake up and fulfill your dreams, you know what I mean? You do the best version of who you are. I'm like, you know, it's just so, and like, we fall for that. We actually think of it, that's really cool. And it kind of, it kind of helps you, particularly when you're like really sweating 20 minutes in. And like the music's pumping and somebody's going, but it's all this kind of stuff, you know what I mean? It's like looking at you and winking at you and just you do you. And it's all over advertising everywhere, you know? And I think if I do me, like in all seriousness, if I do me the way I am without God, God help us all. You know, seriously, like, but, and God help the world, right? If you do you, the religious spirit, it's not you do you, but it's like you do as I say. And you do it this way. And then, and then in the political spirit, it's like, we can change the world. 
if we do it our way. And then, and then, and then the sectarian spirit, it's like, as long as they don't do it with us, we'll be okay. We're better than them. These are all counterfeit spirits that try to appear as something good. And lots of them, unfortunately, stick God's name in the middle of it. And, and they're not the Holy Spirit. And yet the Holy Spirit comes and says, you are loved unconditionally. Now give yourself up. Give your whole self up. Be mine. And become who you were born to be. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And, he, and the thing about it is, he, 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 doesn't, he never forces it. Because perfect love can't force. Perfect love can't manipulate the Holy Spirit comes and frees us from what has enslaved us and awakens us to experience the love of God. I love this quote from Jürgen Moltmann. The Holy Spirit is the unrestricted presence of God in which our life wakes up, becomes holy and entirely living, and is endowed with the energies of life. That's the kind of life that Jesus lived. Jesus was like the pioneer citizen of a whole new way of living. He came to show us what life in the Holy Spirit looks like. He was non-resistant to the Holy Spirit, but we have to work with the Holy Spirit. We have to allow him to do that work, as I say, because he never forced that. And then, therefore, we also need to acknowledge that we need help. We need real help. In fact, the Bible talks about us being dead before we came to Christ. Now, we're not dead because we're walking around. So what does the Bible mean? It says we were dead before we came to Christ. What it means is your spirit was dead. You were dead inside. Even though you tried to kind of connect with other kind of things and other sort of transcendent experiences, you were dead inside because the, the part of you that was supposed to be connected with God hadn't been awakened. And we're, we are called, as, and what we believe is that as the Holy Spirit comes to us, He activates the very core of who we are to come alive in Jesus. And Jesus came to show us that what we've been thirsting for, what our spirits have been longing for, is Him. <laughs> He is what we're longing for. He has always been the, 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 the center of the affection of our hearts. He is the one that we've been waiting for. And so an encounter of Jesus and the forgiveness of Jesus will awaken within us our spirits and cause an eruption inside the deepest parts of who we are, which is why Jesus says it will be like a river flowing up out of your innermost being. That's what it's going to feel like. A river of love and joy and delight that will heal every broken part of you, that will, that, that will restore every fragmented part of you, that will forgive every sinful part of you. This will be like a river flowing up out of you. And we are called to allow, therefore, the Holy Spirit to be the true source of our lives. And then the New Testament goes on to say, so then you've got to live and walk in the Spirit. You go on living this way. It's not just what happens to salvation. You go on living by the Spirit. Romans 8, we love this verse. Those who are led by the Spirit, these are the sons and the daughters of God. Not if you're good living. You're not a son of God if you're just good living, if you just clean your life up a bit. The Bible says you're a son or a daughter of God if you're led by the Spirit, okay? And so the early writers, as I said at the start, talk a lot about this because they had experienced, um, the, the early apostles, I should say, they had experienced something of the transforming nature of Christ in their lives and the work of His Spirit. 
that would cause everything to change. And then they remembered, do you remember Jesus said like it was going to be better that he would go? Because then his spirit would come upon us and he would lead us into truth. And we could never imagine that would have been the case. But now it's actually happening. We're experiencing his, his life in us still. It's like, it's like a still small voice still telling us what to do, how to act, who to become. All of those kind of things. And so this is what we want to understand better as a church. We want to mature. You know, we're about to move again. We're about to take new, new territory, if you like, in the town. And we want to mature as spiritual people. Right? We don't want to just create a new club. We don't want it even just to be about the building. We want it to be about a spiritual people. And, and, and when we come to Christ, we start this process of being formed spiritually. We, you see, the thing about this, we talk about being formed physically, and that just feels really natural. But we never really talk and think about the fact that our spirits can be formed. They form, they develop, they grow, if we're committed to the process of formation. And, and that's what happens when, when we find Jesus. The process of spiritual formation starts. That's why a greedy person, after they've met Jesus and opened up their heart to the Spirit, can become a generous person. That's why somebody that is a sectarian person can become a peace builder. That's why somebody who really struggles with lust can become somebody who exercises self-control. That's why somebody who's angry can become a gentle person. That's why somebody like me who's impatient, right, can, by God's grace, eventually become more patient. Why? Because the Spirit is power. The Spirit is power to transform. But it's a journey, which brings me on to the next point. It's a struggle. So the Holy Spirit is the source of our lives if we let Him lead us through perfect love. But it's, it's a struggle. Let's look at this verse. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not know, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But you are led by the Spirit. You are not under the law. In one of the translations, I think it says, you do not know what you want. Anybody encouraged by that? Like, by the fact that some days the conflict inside you is so strong that it's hard to decide what you actually want. Why do I still want what I used to want? Did anybody else ever feel like that some days? I hope you do, because I do, right? And what this verse is going on to tell us is there is a war. There's a war going on within you. It's a war... And there's a war going out there in the world because there's a war going on in my heart. Um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, a really famous quote, but worth repeating. The line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. There is a work and a war going on for our hearts. Let me try and explain this a little bit more. When, this, when you got saved, right, and Jesus came and took in a sense, over your life. The source changed. It wasn't like just a simple transaction happened and you got your passport for heaven, but something utterly transformational happened in your life. You became a new person. A new operating system, if you like, took over your life. The Holy Spirit came in. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. But what has anybody experienced since that moment that it hasn't necessarily been easy? 
is, would anybody say like since the moment they got saved, like all their problems went away? And not just all their problems, but they became this, just this incredible person that just like looks like Jesus right away. Okay, good, right? <clears throat> and even though you sense the presence of God and are aware that a new thing has happened in your life, you are, we are aware of, of this other person that like tries to live within us. Ever aware of that red mist that comes over you? Like something happens and all of a sudden like you feel like you're a bit out of control with your anger? Ever aware of that hate that you can still feel? Are you ever aware of that unforgiveness that you still harbor? Are you ever aware of the sectarianism that you still carry? Are you ever aware when something comes on the news? Not we part of your brain goes, at least it wasn't our side. Do you ever become aware of those things? Even like when you went to church on Sunday that day? Ever, ever aware of the lust that sometimes fear is driving you? Ever aware of the competitiveness, the jealousy that you even feel when you're in church? You ever aware of that? Yeah. That's what we call the old person. That's the war. That's the struggle. The struggle is real, right? That is the struggle that goes on inside us. The, and this is what the Bible calls the flesh. And here's a decent definition of the flesh from Richard Lovelace. He says this, the fallen human personality apart from the renewing influence and control of the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible talks about the flesh, which isn't like the natural flesh. It's, it's referring to the sinful nature, the old person. And so what, what happens in this life until we get to heaven and we get our new bodies, we're going, to con, we're going to continue to struggle with this. It actually tells us in Galatians chapter 5, look at this word in some of the translations, it's used the word lusts, the spirit lusts against the flesh. The spirit hates the flesh, but the flesh lusts against the spirit. That is strong language, right? They, they are in conflict again one another, against one another, and they're going on, it's <laughs> going on inside us, Right? And in this life, I remember my dad telling me this when I wondered why I was still not feeling very Christian. And he, he said to me, son, <laughs> this is like a proper dad-son chat, and he said, son, the flesh will never be removed and it will never be improved in this life. So you're just going to learn how to live in the spirit. Because I don't know why. They used to, in the, when we grew up in the Brethren, they had this kind of analogy of two dogs fighting, and I'd never know why it was two dogs. But anyway... It was a black dog and a white dog, and the white dog represented the life of the spirit, and the black dog represented the life of the flesh, and they used to always put to you, who's going to win? And the answer was always, the one that you feed the most. So if you starve the flesh and feed the spirit, you learn how to overcome the flesh. Day by day, hour by hour, you know, living with God's people in worship, we learn how to overcome the flesh. And it's important for us to know that <clears throat> we have a part of us that longs for something more than what we're experiencing. You too, this great song, some of you remember, most of you are, the majority of you are like my, my vintage, you know, and you'll remember that song when people were questioning whether Bono really was a Christian or not. And then he sung that song, you know, um, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And like all, all, all the fundamentalists were like, how could he ever sing? Like you still haven't found what you're looking for. Like you know, if if you're a Christian, of course you found everything that you've you've found you found everything that you've been looking for in Christ if you really knew him. 
And then you go back over the lurks and you go, you broke the bonds, you loosed the chains, you carried the cross of my shame. You know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That's my life. So I get up every day and I don't necessarily sing that song, but <coughs> still haven't found the shower or whatever. But I, what I do is I think, you know, I believe it. He broke the bones. He carried the cross of my shame. You know I believe it. But I'm, I'm still not the man that I really want to be. I still haven't become more like Jesus like I know I can be. The struggle is real. The conflict is real. And so what do we do? Who's going to win? Well, you'll be glad to hear there's a solution, all right? The source, the struggle, and the solution. We, we learn how to feed the Spirit. Now look at this for the last few moments. If we live by the Spirit, we will not follow the desires of the flesh. That was just the start of the passage I read earlier in Galatians 5. Now, that is really interesting. I think if you can get this verse, it's a bit of a game changer. Because notice the way the positive injunction is at the start for life in the Spirit. So what it doesn't say is, overcome the flesh and then you'll live by the Spirit. Right? It says, Live by the Spirit, and you will overcome the flesh. Has anybody been ever so, like, feel so guilty and feel so condemned and feel so shameful about, like, the way you feel? And, like, how can I overcome this thing? And how can I overcome that? And what we try to do is then we, we don't rely on the Holy Spirit. We rely on, you know, we rely on our own strength. We rely on our own willpower. We rely on some self-help book. We listen to some other podcast, and we think that that kind of thing will get us over it. And all the time we're not living by the Spirit. We're just grafting ourselves. We're just trying to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And eventually you just end up in a vicious circle of feeling more and more shame, more and more defeat. And you never actually get victory. And discipline is really important. But the discipline is only to put us in a place to receive the Spirit. The, the, the discipline is only in the place, is, is to help us experience righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. The discipline isn't a thing in itself, but it's the place where we put ourselves to allow God's love and power to be, to be poured into us. And where do you think, as I finish, where do you think if we receive the Spirit, the Spirit will lead us? And th this is going to sound like, like old school preaching, but sometimes old school is good, right? The Spirit will lead you to the cross. Because it's in the cross of Jesus that you will find the power to overcome your sin. To overcome your struggle. And uh, sorry, this sounds like a, it's, it's, it's like a big sentence, but it's really, really important if you can grasp it. What we need to understand is the complementary, right? In other words, they work together, and the indivisible nature of the Spirit and the cross, right? In other words, they, you can't separate them. The Spirit will lead you to the cross, but the cross opens you up to the life of the Spirit. And so what we learn is every day, we learn. This is, this, is how life, this is what life in the Spirit looks like. <laughs> Learning the art. In, in the place of worship, I probably should add to that sentence, because we need to get our eyes on Jesus. We learn the art of dying to self. And can I tell you, like that is a lost art in the church today. Learning how to die to self. First of all, recognizing it when it comes and then learning how to die. It starts with seeing Jesus. It doesn't start with trying to fix yourself. It starts with seeing Jesus. 
And in the light of his perfect love, we start to detect certain things in our lives that could do with some work. But it's not like a condemning thing and a shameful thing. It's a leading you into life thing. It's like, I've got more for you. It's an invitation to more. And as he brings us into that, we learn how to receive then more of the life of God. I remember a certain time in my life where every time I came to church, I was just so cheesed off. I was younger. And not that it never happens when I'm older, right? But I was younger. And I was just wanting to be involved in everything. You know, and I thought, like, I should be preaching, and I should be, you know what I mean? And if I was doing that, and I would have done it different, that was just like, it was like tormenting me. I was at university at the time, and here's what I had to learn how to do. I went up to my university room, closed the door, pulled the curtains, put some worship on, wrote a, wrote a verse out, which um, is here, in Galatians chapter 2. Wrote a verse out, stuck it on the mirror in my room, and this is what I prayed. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And every day I had to do that for days. And you see, when I finally got victory, it was like getting saved again. Honestly, because it was actually even more aware of my sin then than maybe even it was when I first got saved, because I knew I just had to get saved. But the thing about it is, the more you walk with Jesus, the more aware you become of what you, need, what you need help with. And slowly but surely, though, you start to get transformed. And slowly but surely, it is like getting born again and again and again and again. Because every day, Johnny, could you skip to, back to just every day we do this, we acknowledge our denial of self. And we appropriate the work of the cross to our lives. So every, every day, that's what we do. And so I, I learned Galatians 2.20 off by heart so I, could, so I could just pray that over myself. Not because I was trying to impress people with like my knowledge of Scripture, because I needed it if I was going to be changed. I needed to rehearse that in my mind. I needed to imprint it on my heart in order for the life of the Spirit to be, uh, to be formed in me. And let me finish with this. Maybe Catherine and the guys, the band, would come up, and we're just going to finish with a song here. We're just at half past nine. I just want to take five minutes to finish this off. It says this. It turns out that we achieve Christ-likeness not by striving or self-conscious modeling on his life, we become like him by being absorbed in Jesus and him. As we concentrate the core of our life in Jesus, as we contemplate his actions and meditate on his words, without being aware of it, we are being changed into what we are focused upon. And so as we just become obsessed with Jesus, as we become enamored with his beauty, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, and as we walk in the Spirit and receive the Spirit, we are changed from the inside out to reflect something of His character. The thing about it is, and I know this is not necessarily the easiest message to preach today, and you know me, in the coming weeks, I am going to be talking about the outpouring of the Spirit. You better believe it. I am going to be believing God for a fresh Pentecost in our day. You better believe I'm going to be talking about come Holy Spirit, pour yourself out, come and do what only you can do, come and change this, come and, I'm going to be talking lots about this. But the, the thing about it is you can't fill a full vessel. And until we create the capacity to be changed and to die to the stuff that we need to die to, the Holy Spirit could pour himself out 
all he wants and you just get a tickle in the meeting on a Sunday night, but nothing would ever be that really different. And we want to be changed, transform people, don't we? And so we're just going to take a few moments to do this and then we're going to go and get our kids and stuff. But as the, as the band lead us, I just want to pray. And then if you wouldn't mind, I'd love you just to go and take communion. And uh, let's appropriate the work of the cross to our own lives this morning. Can we do that? And uh, maybe as I've been speaking, something has become apparent to you um, that you, you just want to lay at the foot of the cross and ask the Lord to change in you and transform in you and, uh, and know the love of Jesus, you know. Uh, the Bible says, let a man examine himself and then come. <laughs> it's good that second bit, isn't it? Like, because if we just examined ourselves, we wouldn't come. But examine yourself and then come because there's healing and there's forgiveness and there's perfect love in Jesus. And so Holy Spirit, I just pray in these moments as we worship you just as we take communion. I ask you, Lord, that you would change us, change us and transform us, oh God, from the inside out. We want to be like you, Lord. And Lord, we repent of attitudes, of behaviors, of thoughts, oh Lord, that we know aren't of you. And yet we thank you that in your love, you, you take them and you've already taken them in your own body to forgive us and to change us and transform us. Thank you, Lord, that your ideal and destiny for us is greater than we could ever imagine. You didn't save us just to be good living. You saved us to be like you. And Lord, we thank you for your commitment to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go and grab communion together, could we? Come back to your seat and just, um, just appropriate the cross to your own life. And then Debbie will come and pray and finish us.